Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. While Westminster was absorbed in its own psychodrama, outside the bubble, one topic has dominated the conversation. Mortgage. Mortgages. Mortgages. Mortgage. Mortgage. I'm worried there's a ticking time bomb on mortgages. For many of us, the chaos of the mini-budget means keeping a roof over our heads costs more now than even a couple of months ago. That includes renters as well as homeowners. This time last year, a typical £200,000 mortgage would have cost around 2%. Today, that is closer to 6%, meaning an extra £600 a month in mortgage costs. We might have a new Prime Minister in Rishi Sunak who's promised to dial down the drama, but high interest rates and rents look like they're here to stay. So what happens when your home becomes a source of financial anxiety? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Jenny Kleeman. Today, is Britain heading for a housing crash? We're going to look at two stories unfolding in two different parts of England. Let's head first to Manchester and hear from Sunday Times news reporter Hannah Al-Othman, who started her home buying journey just as the last Tory leadership contest began. It's been quite the ride. You know, there's a lot of people in the same boat. So I wrote a piece on it for the Sunday Times. I had a few people get in touch and just say, I'm going through exactly the same. I can relate to all of this. It's been really stressful. And just speaking to friends as well, I've got some friends who are either trying to buy a property or trying to remortgage. And you never thought that you'd be texting your group chats or mm. discussing mortgage interest <laughs> rates. But um, to get messages from friends saying, you know, what rate did you get? <laughs> I remember just one day opening WhatsApp and just having all these messages from friends saying, is your mortgage okay? And I was just like, oh, I don't know. And it's making me worry more that you're worried. Buying a first home is a big deal, whoever you are. Tell us about the steps you took to put yourself in a position where you could. So basically, I moved back to Manchester from London and I moved back in with my parents. So I was living in a rented flat with housemates near Finsbury Park in North London. And the entire contents of my life are still in a storage locker. I packed up that flat in the spring of 2020 in lockdown and they're in a storage locker somewhere on the other side of Manchester. I'd 
built up some credit card debt, overdraft debt, basically from when I first started in my career. I I worked as a local paper journalist and the wages there are not great. And it is particularly hard in London to get by on that. So, you know, I've been carrying that around for years. So basically I moved home, paid off that debt and saved a deposit. As a first time buyer, you must have had images in your head of what your first home was going to be like. What were you envisaging when you embarked on this process? I'm buying somewhere in Levenshume, which is an area of South Manchester that's getting quite popular. It's got nice sort of period terraced houses, which I love. And there's a really nice community there. It's a great little corner of Manchester. Initially, I was looking for a three-bedroom house. So I wanted a bedroom and then a spare room. And then the houses that I was initially looking at, they all had a little box room as well that had been used as an office, which is what I wanted to do as well. And yeah, I was looking at places that had a bit of a garden as well. So that was kind of what I had in mind. And um, tell us about the place that you've settled on. So in the end, basically, the sort of three bedrooms with a garden was right at the top end of my budget. But everything was going for, I would guess, around 30000 over the asking price. So I was just getting outbid at the final stage all the time. And I got a bit frustrated with this. So I basically decided that I would go for a two bedroom house instead. So I'm actually quite happy with it. It's not got a garden, but it's got a little backyard. So hopefully I can make that quite green. The day you had a viewing on the house that you've eventually made an offer on and that we're talking about now, There's an interesting parallel timeline, isn't there? Tell us what else was going on on the day of that viewing. Yeah, so it was the day the result of the Conservative Leadership Contest was announced. And my friends, we need to show that we will deliver over the next two years. So in her first week, I think it was two days into her premiership, I was looking around the house. And then, yeah, a day or so later, I'd put in the offer. And of course, we know that the early days of Liz Truss's leadership were quite turbulent. Tell us about the impact that's had on you as a potential home buyer. Oh, it's been so stressful because the interest rates have just been going up and up. So I told my mortgage broker that I'd had an offer accepted. So I rang him and he said, He locked up the rate, I think it was just below 4%. And then he needed various documents from me, pay slips, bank statements. And I also needed to get a load of documentation over to my solicitor. And, you know, it wasn't an easy process. So it it took me a few days. I was away on a reporting job. Took me a few days to sit down and and sort out all this documentation. And it, it was less than a week. And by the time I'd rung him and sent it over, he checked the rates and he said, well, they've gone up again. The rate I got was 4.19%. And so the day that I rang him, he said, I'll lock it in today. So how it works for those who haven't been through this process is basically you get your agreement in principle, but that doesn't say what the rate's going to be. And then it's only when you tell the bank which specific property it is that you want to buy, that's when you get the rate on that day that you put in the application. So my application went in basically the morning that quasi Quarting did his mini budget. So even though the rates had gone up that week, I was really lucky that I got it in that day because since then, 
they've just gone higher and higher. I think they're now over 6%. I mean, what was it like, though? You, you feel like you've just sneaked in by the skin of your teeth, but what did it feel like in that week? It felt very stressful because although I'd got in in time, the bank hadn't confirmed that. And, you know, a friend said to me the bank had revoked their offer. They did manage to get it reinstated, but the bank pulled their offer. I read news stories. I read tweets about people having their mortgages withdrawn. All the big lenders withdrew their products from the market. So it was just really, really stressful because I just didn't know whether my mortgage offer was going to go through or not. Anyway, it it was fine. It did come through. So touch wood, you know, I did get in there just in time. Relief is an understatement. When that that email came through from the bank, it, it was just a huge relief. We'll hear more from Hannah later. Back in London, another story was unfolding in the Times newsroom. My name's George Nixon, and I'm a money reporter at the Times and the Sunday Times who started writing about mortgages in precisely January this year, just in time for everything to go completely wrong. Before we get into everything that has gone completely wrong, tell us what a normal day's work was like for you before all of this. What kinds of things were you looking at? At Times and Sunday Times, the money pages run on Saturdays and Sundays. So a lot of the time you're thinking ahead to the weekend of what features, what investigations, what stories we want to do for the weekend, you know, in depth that we can tell better than anyone else about personal finance. So what are people doing with their mortgages? What are people doing with their savings? What are people doing with their pensions? And the idea being that you have more time and space to look into, you know, in-depth statistics, talk to case studies to find out what they're doing. It's a little bit slower paced, or it has been for most of the past few years pre-COVID. Now, take us back to the week of the mini-budget. What were you doing on the day of the mini-budget? Where were you and what kinds of things did you see? So this was a Friday, it wasn't it? It was Friday, September 23rd. We didn't think it was going to be a mini budget because of the the briefings that were coming out about some pretty radical tax cuts that were being proposed. We heard on the morning that it was being suggested that the 45 pence additional rate of tax was going to go altogether. And we were bracing ourselves for a pretty big day in the newsroom. And that's actually what transpired. And it was a very early statement by the Chancellor, I think about half past 10, 11. Mr Speaker, we're at the beginning of a new era. And so from that point, it was your classic kind of budget day of, or a mini budget day in this case of, you know, going through the documents, what's been announced, how much is it all going to cost, which people are going to benefit, which people are going to lose out. And there was this trend at the back of our minds going into the weekend about what is this going to mean for people's mortgages? Because mortgage rates have been going up since the back end of last year anyway, and they're increasingly sensitive to financial market movements. And we had, you know, from Monday... What's going to happen? And what did happen from that Monday? It's very interesting because I had a call from my editor at half past nine in the morning, just after I just got into the office going, well, what's going on with the mortgage market at the moment? At that point, it was very quiet. We had kind of written some stories at the weekend expecting another round of, of mortgage rate rises from Monday. And it was actually very slow to get going. And there was no news for, for several hours until about just after one, two o'clock in the afternoon, you had this announcement and got tipped off from a mortgage broker that Halifax, which for those who don't know, is Britain's largest mortgage lender, that they were going to pull a substantial number of fee-based mortgages. The large bulk of their range was going to be withdrawn because of what was going on 
uh, in financial markets with banks finding very difficult to know how to price those mortgages, bracing themselves for a wave of demand. And Halifax said that they were going to take a large number off sale. And from then, it was kind of like a domino effect. Across the country, mortgage deals on offer yesterday have been withdrawn today. When the offers are back on the table, you'll be paying more, for some close to double the previous fixed rate. This is what happens. A big lender moves and then lots of others over the course of the afternoon said that they were either going to put the rates up on mortgages from the next day or were just going to pull them all together. I think the most noteworthy was Skipton Building Society, which is also another fairly large lender, at about half past three, four, said it was going to pull its fixed rate products with immediate effect. That doesn't normally happen. Normally you have several hours notice to the close of business, but it was things have gone so crazy in financial markets, we don't know what to set the price of these mortgages. We're being inundated. We're pulling everything now. So there was this domino effect, as you say. It started slowly, Where were things by the end of that week, by the Friday of the week that began on the 26th of September? Where we were was mortgage rates were an awful lot higher than where they'd started the week. On the day of the Chancellor's mini-budget, the average two-year fix was 4.74%. And by the end of the next week, they had gone up on average by an entire percentage point, which is a huge amount of movement in a very short period of time. And that week, we'd also seen the number of mortgage deals that people were available to take. Not only were they more expensive, but there were far fewer of them. In that week, I think MoneyFax had reported that we'd seen the biggest one-day fall on the Tuesday in those mortgage products since their records began in about 2010. We all know what happened next. It was the end of Quasi Quating's term as Chancellor, and we got a new one, Jeremy Hunt. He intervened. What difference has that made to mortgages? It hasn't made any difference yet. At the time of this recording, the average two-year fix is now 6.65%. So they have continued to go up. But the hope is that what Jeremy Hunt announced is going to feed through in time into a lower peak and a faster fall in mortgage rates. So what he announced, the undoing of the quasi-quartane tax cuts, did lower government borrowing costs quite substantially. And that will have knock-on effects for mortgage rates. The hope now is that over the next few weeks things start to settle, the pace of those rate rises slow down and that the banks maybe start to cut some of those deals, the cost of those fixed rate loans, because their cost of funding them has gone down in turn. But that is a sort of hope. We don't know that for sure yet. George, talk us through what this means for people listening to all of this in terms of their own specific circumstances. Talk us through it. First of all, what's this mean for for homeowners? Essentially, it means the cost of keeping the roof over your head is going to be a lot more than it was just a few months ago. We have had 10 years of very, very low interest rates. Millions of people have bought their first home, remortgaged on that home, moved house again without ever really knowing their monthly payments going up in terms of the actual rate they're being charged. That's now come to an end. Since last October, the average two-year fix was 2.25%. So you're now looking in the space of a year of hundreds, if not thousands of pounds more. It is a really frightening time for people. As a journalist, you kind of wrestle with that dilemma of like, how do you cover what is happening, which is quite rapid, is quite volatile in a way that doesn't freak people out. But the reality is, is that people's mortgages are going to cost them hundreds, if not thousands of pounds more a year. And there's also 
a lot of uncertainty for people. That's a lot of what I've heard from mortgage brokers and from borrowers. Over the last 10 years, there's only really been one option for people because fixed rate mortgages have been so cheap. You come off one fix, you take another one. That's kind of changed now because fixed rate mortgages, because they front run future rises in the Bank of England base rate, they are very expensive now. So the dilemma is, do you take that expensive two-year fix? Do you take that expensive five-year fix? Do you take a, a variable rate mortgage, even though you know the base rate's going up? Because they're cheaper now, and they might still be cheaper in the future. There are a lot of dilemmas for people who aren't used to having to make those decisions over the last 10 years. It's a really difficult time for people. And what about first-time buyers? Yeah, first-time buyers have sort of both won and lost over the last 10 years, because House prices have absolutely exploded. The average UK house price is now about £296,000. It was reported this week by the Office for National Statistics. They've gone up about 14% over the last year, probably doubled in, in 10 years. The losses, it's much more expensive relative to income. The cost of putting together a deposit, especially in parts of the southeast, is massive. But on the flip side, if you are able to get that deposit... Banks have been willing to lend people more money and the cost of servicing those interest payments has been kept quite low by very low interest rates. That's now changed. At the very least, okay house prices, the rise that we've seen over the last few years is not going to be sustained because people can't get the mortgages to afford those more expensive houses. House prices might fall. But also, at the same time, as a first-time buyer, are you going to be able to get that £200,000 mortgage plus your deposit together at a time of really high inflation when you've got to pay maybe a 6 or perhaps even a 6.5% interest rate maybe on a 95% mortgage. I think it's going to be a really difficult time to people. And of course, let's not forget, help to buy has been much criticised as a government scheme for pushing up house prices even further. But it has offered an opportunity for people to reduce how much they have to take out as a mortgage by getting that free government subsidy. That's ending at the end of October. What's going to replace that? You know, that's a huge gap that needs to be filled. And is the bank of mum and dad going to fill it? They've got energy bills to pay. They've got their own mortgage to worry about. And those of us who rent properties, people who don't own their own homes, they're not immune from feeling the effects of this, are they? No, they're not. They're not at all. You've got a knock-on effect there where if people who are putting property purchases on ice for the time being because they're worried about interest rates and falling house prices. They're going to perhaps be looking back into the rental market. You know, we've talked about mortgage rates for homeowners, for landlords. Mortgage rates have gone up a lot as well. And the stress test that lenders require could look to ensure landlords could afford a mortgage, could push up rental, the required income they need to make from rent by tens of thousands of, of pounds even. There was an email from Spare Room, the lettings website that was sent out to those who have an account the other week where they said they're seeing the biggest mismatch between the number of listings available in the market and the number of people looking to rent. That gap is the widest since they began and they said this is an emergency essentially. And you can see in all the figures that Rightmove for example, the, the average rent that people are being charged, it's never been higher and that was in September, we're another month on that's just only going to get worse. It's a really difficult time for everyone. Coming up, could the housing market crash? But first, this message from a colleague. I'm James Marriott, a columnist, book reviewer and podcast reviewer for The Times. It's my job to explain and contextualise our turbulent social and cultural landscape in a way that is as interesting, informative and as original as possible. 
I can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Do you think the housing market is going to crash? I think we need to be careful about this. I don't think the word crash is appropriate or is actually going to happen. There are increasing forecasts about falling house prices over the next year. And, you know, of course, there are massive constraints on people's ability to buy to afford more expensive house prices. All the things about mortgage rates that we've talked about. I think we are probably going to see a slight fall in house prices. I don't think there's a crash because... The simple dynamics of supply and demand. We do not build enough houses in this country. That's been why house prices have exploded over the last 10 years, because more people want to buy houses than there are houses available. And I think that will act as a kind of floor on the housing market, because there is not a magical huge number of properties coming to boost the supply at the same time. There is still going to be a much larger number of buyers looking for a finite number of homes. And I think that will keep the lid on or keep the floor underneath the housing market. Put this in a bit of historical context for us. Some people listening to this will remember a time in the 70s and 80s when mortgage rates were in the double digits. There's a lot of talk about how we've not been used to this, you know, our parents paid 19%, 20% on mortgages. We've not faced that. And this is the point, isn't it, that people like to talk about, relatively speaking, mortgage rates of 5%, 6%, 7% are not very high in historic standards. But it doesn't really matter about that. About 3.74 million people have got on the property ladder since the start of 2010, having known 
nothing else other than sort of mortgage rates of sub 4%. And that's a huge change for them. And it's also, you know, what have ultra low interest rates done over the last 10 years? They've pushed up house prices massively. People have had to stretch themselves to take out massive mortgages over a massive length of time. And what that means is that people are quite vulnerable to the cost of that debt going up because those mortgages are so much bigger. So yes, it's almost like 6% is the new 15% because of where we are now versus where we've been because of the size of the mortgages that people have. Parallels are being drawn between what's going on now and the 2008 financial crisis when people just couldn't pay their mortgages. Do you think there are similarities? I think it's a, a scary parallel to make, and I, I don't quite think it's true in this case. The stress testing requirements, the affordability requirements the banks have had to test for borrowers since 2014 are much more stringent than before. You don't have self-certified mortgages anymore. You have limits on loan-to-income sizes. I think it, it does rest on whether people stay in their jobs. There is now talk, again, we're going to be in recession by the end of this year. Is that going to be a kind of spending driven recession, are people going to stay in employment? If people stay in their jobs, we aren't going to see a massive number of repossessions. And I just think people are going to be really, really squeezed. The disposable income that people are going to have is going to be massively, massively reduced. But if people still have their jobs, they will probably still be able to pay their mortgages still. And I think that's a very important message to try and send. It doesn't seem currently like there are huge signs of stress, but we're waiting on what the banks say, how much money they set aside to kind of cover loans and mortgages going bad. Their latest results are due in the next few weeks, and that will give us a much clearer picture of where they see. And of course, they're the ones that have these customers that know how much they owe and how much they can afford to pay. House buying is particularly totemic in the UK, isn't it? I mean, what is it about our national character that makes it so important to us to own our own home? Yeah, without going back to the cliche of an Englishman's home is his castle, I think it's the kind of not wanting to be indebted to anyone else. I was speaking to a first-time buyer couple earlier this week, and this is the new world of first-time buyers. They're in their early 30s. They've been renting for 10 years already. They're buying as a first property. They're buying a two-bed flat in the outskirts in Kent, outside of London, because it's so expensive. And one of them put it, they said, after renting for so long, you get sick of it. He said, it's kind of like dead money. Mm. You know, whereas you're investing in property, whether you see property as a financial asset or not you are investing in that. You are making it your own. It's something to call your own. And I think there's a strong emotional pull to it. If you're going to make a critique of government policy over the last 10 years, not enough has been done to kind of realise that more and more people are having to rent for longer and making renting a kind of more long-term solution for people because this focus has always been, not just among the Tory party, but also among Labour, that you want to create a nation of homeowners. It kind of goes back to Margaret Thatcher, you know, her totemic policy of right to buy where something my um, my own grandparents benefited from where you live in a council flat, you could buy it at a slightly discounted rate. She really tapped into that kind of bit of the national psyche about I don't want to let my flat on a long-term lease from the council. I want to own it. And it was a very electorally successful policy, but it kind of stored up some of the problems we're seeing today where there's just a lack of housing because none of those council flats that were sold off were replaced. Local authorities don't really build houses anymore and private house builders were massively behind on, on any government housing target. So, Hannah, how do you feel about home ownership now, having gone through all of this? I still don't even know if it's the right decision. So I thought about 
pulling out of my purchase just because experts are forecasting a fall in house prices and that people are going to end up in negative equity and over the asking price. So I'm just just I'm still a bit apprehensive, really. And the plan was sort of to, to move into this house and do it up a bit and then maybe move again in a fairly short time in a few years to somewhere bigger to the three-bedroom place with the garden that I wanted originally but I don't know if that's going to be possible now I might be there for much longer than I thought but the rental market isn't great either so look you know should I get all my stuff out of storage and rent somewhere for a, a few years instead but that's not really a great option either so in the end I thought you know I'm just going to go through with it and hope for the best. And what's the latest with your home buying? My solicitor, he thinks we should be able to complete within the next couple of months. So it would be really nice to get it all tied up by the end of the year, but I'm not counting on that, shall we say. Well, I'm crossing my fingers for you, Hannah. Buying a home is fraught at the best of times, which these are not. So best of luck with it. Thank you. Thank you. George, we've heard Hannah's story. She's in her 30s buying her first home. What's it mean for spring chickens in their 20s like you, George? How are younger people feeling about the prospect of ever owning their own home? I'm based in, in London. I live in London and grew up in the southeast, so the property market is quite a different. It's especially acute, the housing shortages and the problems here. There is a lot of, you know, almost resignation. I wrote a story for The Times and the Sunday Times earlier this year about one of, it's not quite where I grew up, but it's very close to where I grew up in a place called Amersham, where lots of young people who live there find themselves entirely priced out of ever having to buy there. It's a Buckinghamshire town where the average house price is now over a million pounds. Where I grew up, you know, I'm going to probably have to move quite far away from there in order to buy. And people are already buying later. As I say, the average first-time buyer in this country is now 32. Hannah's story is pretty much the typical thing now. First-time buyers, even doctors, accountants, lawyers, are finding themselves struggling with those deposit requirements. You know, you're not buying like a £200,000 rundown flat anymore. A two-bed flat is upwards of you know several hundred thousand pounds in this part of the country. And it's still also similar in other parts of the country because of property price to income ratios, because houses cost more in London and the southeast, but people earn more. You know, in the northeast, houses are a bit cheaper, but wages are a bit lower. So the affordability ratio house price to income ratio is still as is high and I do think there's this increasing sort of trend of resignation of oh I don't know how I'm ever going to be able to buy a house now lots of people still do but it's going to be an awful lot harder in the certainly in the near future because of higher interest rates higher cost of living making it harder to put together that deposit to save all of those things it's going to be a really challenging time for first-time buyers You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Jenny Kleeman, and my guests, Sunday Times news reporter Hannah Al-Othman and The Times and Sunday Times money reporter George Nixon. You can find all of Hannah and George's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Priyanka Deladia. The executive producers today were Kate Ford and James Shield, and sound design was by James McGee. Thanks for listening.